Hey family, I'm Mark. Welcome to the Kinship Collective. We are ending otherness, growing solidarity by celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture together. This week, we have an incredible conversation with my sister, Maida Macedo Nolan. For the past couple of weeks, I've been kind of racking my brain. I've been so tempted by these ideas of the American dream, more wealth, more security, more this, more that. And I felt like I wanted to talk to somebody about what do I do about that? Where does that come from? And I had a really reorienting, grounding conversation with our sister, Myra. It was really beautiful. She gives us some really poignant and powerful questions to ask ourselves in times that need reorientation. We talk about Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 9, and there's this beauty this invitation to never shrink back. You're going to love it. Welcome to the Kinship Collective. This is my sister, Maida, after a beautiful, fun introduction. The chairwoman of the board for the CCDA, the Christian Community Development Association, the executive director of the Community Clergy Coalition, Pastora Maida Marcelo Nolan. Myra, thanks for joining us today. You are too much. Now I feel like I'm supposed to be wearing some satin cape and some shiny shorts, and it's supposed to be some music that was playing to like oh. usher me into the ring. That's what that sounded like. Thank yeah. you. I've never been introduced quite that way. Appreciate it. Love there you. There you go. <laughs> I love you too. Myra, to me, family listening, is um, she is definitely like a prophetic voice, someone who speaks the truth in love. I've never, I don't think, ever seen her back down from the truth. She's extraordinarily hospitable. Uh, and I think back to the propheticness, I think she's so principled and she has really a keen eye and heart on what matters most, what reflects the kingdom of God most. And I think um, back to that, there's a sense of presence in her and the ways that she's with people. I think that those three things together and really hospitable and present really are a powerful combination that's what i've experienced you who i've experienced you to be myra i think that's part of why you're so effective in the different spaces where you are especially in bridge building spaces welcome 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 thank you it's a pleasure to be with you and yeah thanks for having me absolutely myra something that's been on my heart big time in the past couple of weeks i felt like this conflict around the american dream of like how we achieve the idea of like what we're striving for. And to me, there's been a real strong, uh, the word that comes to my mind is relocation. And I just have like, what does it mean to be incarnational? What did it look like when Jesus kind of lived out, shedding all the power, shedding, you know, all of the privilege and locating himself in the hood of the hood, not, Ga not just Galilee, but Nazareth, nothing good comes from there. And when I think about somebody who has their finger on that pulse and somebody who has something to say about that, you came to my mind about that. So uh, when you think about relocation, I don't even know. That's not where I want to start with you because I feel like it's just jumping in. Myra, would you introduce yourself? I introduce you to people. Would you share a little bit about the work you get to do now, some of the work that you do as chairman, chairwoman, chairperson? Uh, chairwoman, to be clear, of the board of CCDA? Sure. Um, yeah, so our family, well, you know, 
you know, this, my husband and Chris and I, we, um, we live in Pasadena. We've been here for 20-ish years. Um, we moved up here when we started attending a local church and um, started volunteering. And we came, became those super volunteers that got extra involved. And then that eventually led to a, a, an offer for a position in the program that we're volunteering in, um, which was like actually a call from God, <laughs> you know, to come and be here and for our life to fully be here. And so um, we've been here ever since about a year after I took the role. Um, we we moved our family up here. I, I'm from East LA, so it's only 10 miles away, but it's very different from the neighborhood I grew up in. I grew up in, you know, the heart of, of you know, the Mexican-American, Chicano, Chicana <laughs> movement, you know, East LA, that's where all my people are, um, or, the, or the epicenter of my people in the LA area. And, um, and so Pasadena was a place where Chris and I and our blended family actually fit better. <laughs> you know, like I don't know, I think I had one black friend that lived in East LA when I was growing up. I'm like, how do you live here? <laughs> he was one of my best friends. Um, but, you know, that's just not a place where you see a lot of African-Americans. And so um, Pasadena, it was a place where it was just, it was different from where I grew up. It was um, a place where like Latinos from all parts of Latin America, African-Americans, white, Asian, it's a really diverse community, but where people just live next door to each other. And that was very different from what I was used to. And, and probably actually what Chris is used to as well. He grew up more in black and white spaces. So we've been here. Um, I was at um, the church, Lake Avenue for 20 years. And just this last fall, I accepted a position to be the executive director of the Clergy Community Coalition, which is about 16 years old, um, started by some local pastors. And we are um, just really thinking and praying about what does it mean to be a united local church? And I'm using the big C church. What does it mean to be the local church and be united and be a part of um, ushering in, you know, God's vision for a, a space that could be life-giving for everyone who lives here? And so um, that's what we strive for. And we're thinking of all kinds of great ways to be a part of that. And some of them are um, they're all really exciting, but they're also all really hard. Um, so that's what I'm doing. I love it. Um, our, our commitment is to this community. When we lived here, we're like, we want to be a part of all of it. And so we love where we live. Mm. I love and feel extremely privileged to be able to live here and worship here and work here and raise our kids here. And it's just it's a blessing for sure. Thanks for sharing that. I, I really appreciate one of the things that you said that stood out to me. You said, I received the job offer and that was a call from God to be here, to be rooted here. And you talked about we're doing some beautiful things and we're doing some hard things. And I know that you have been a champion for racial reconciliation, uh, for cultural intelligence for the kingdom of God in some really difficult spaces nationally and really, really like acutely your own neighborhood. When you think about those conversations, uh, what do you think are, I guess some of there's, there's so many, that, that's such a huge space. What are some of the first steps people need to take 
if I'm somebody who has um, elevated, educated, I've made a way to be away from the hood or the neighborhood. I've been away from some of the challenges of that. When you think about people wading into those waters, and we've been talking about this for 16 months, we've seen George Floyd, we've seen Ahmaud Arbery, we've seen so many of, of Breonna Taylor, so many situations that made us say there's such a huge systemic disparity in the lives of people of color. When people say they want to take a step in, for you, as you've navigated that, one, I guess one question is, what are the steps? But I think the question before that is, what is the most difficult thing that you see people encountering that, that, that pushes up against the, the um, it's friction, there's resistance to doing what it takes to create equity? What have you felt or experienced in the spaces that you've led that you would name and say, this usually becomes an issue? So we all want to do all this until this, until it comes to this, that becomes the thing. Yeah, wow, that's a not an easy question to answer because it's so tied up with even how you mentioned earlier, like the American dream. And so like my question, you know, usually goes to like, what do you want? What is it that you want? And why do you want that? You know, and so... Mm -hmm the you know wow. people's idea of like what what it means to live a, a fulfilled life in this country mm -hmm. um you know it for a lot of for a lot of us it looks kind of like the same thing like some parts of it you know like you just want to have a place where you can be with your family like raise your kids if you choose to have children um um be safe you know like be able to work and and uh experience you know some blessing from your work and and so we, like, I think we all want that, you know? So, um, but then there's the, there has to be also something else. Cause what about you? What, what about after you get that? What if you get the little house with a little grassy front yard and the, you know, 2.5 kids and a dog and all of that. And, and then there's still more, right? Because I think as followers of Jesus, we're called, there's like more meaning to just having that place, having that, um, you know, quote unquote dream in the U.S. It's often referred to as, as the American dream, um, sometimes it's actually the American nightmare, you know, for a lot of people who right. were here before it was called America and those who came after to, to pursue this dream and end up, you know, like losing loved ones or being held up in detention centers or whatever it is. Sometimes it really is a nightmare for people as they're striving for that ideal of what it means to have a good life. So all of that, you know, it's all, it's all bunched up, but, but I think at the end of the day, like where you are, is so important. So I think the most important thing for, for followers of Jesus is like, God, where do you want me to be? Like, that's mm. the only reason we should be anywhere, actually. <laughs> and if we find ourselves somewhere, we should be asking, why am I here? What is it about this place at this point in time that, that I am here? What is, the, what is the purpose for me? Um, for a lot of people, as you mentioned, the, the relocation um, the idea of relocation is putting yourself somewhere, you know, like Jesus did, or or like like God did actually through G, through the life of Jesus is like actually in the flesh, being in proximity to something or being in a very specific place, and there is purpose in that. Um, but for some people, it's like actually where I already am, you know, like there's folks who already, you know, live somewhere, or they you know they they lived there and then they went to school or moved away for a, a season and then came back. 
to the place. But at the end of the day, we are somewhere. And is that where we're supposed to be? And then what is the purpose of us being there? I think it, that's the most important question. That was part of your question. There was more, but I'll let you like ask a follow-up. <laughs> yeah, I. that's really powerful to me. You know, not just the question of, <laughs> it's almost like, I think what one of the challenges is that one of the reasons that keeps us from being the change we want to see right where we are is that we think we need to be in a different context to make a meaningful impact, whatever that means. I think in the, in the larger story, when we think about like, oh, well, when we get to heaven, then blah, 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 blah. And when Jesus is saying, oh, the kingdom of, of heaven is here right now, it's unfolding right in front of you. It's arrived right here in my presence, in your hearing this, you're being invited to create the reality, the kingdom reality. And so I think for me, it's really a great reminder when I hear you say, it's not always about the thing over there or moving to the place over there. Even like one time it was like, we don't need to go to Africa to do these things. But now you don't necessarily need to like go to your hood to do the thing. If you're not from there or if you don't know how to navigate that, maybe that's not what you're called to. But how do you make a meaningful impact where you are? So one of the things that really stood out to me about what you said is how we communicate with God. How do we ask God about that? And I want to ask you a personal question about that for you. When you, you know, wrestle with God, ask God about why am I right here? How do those conversations go? How does God respond or how do you interpret you know, or, or share a story maybe about how you felt the spirit enlightened you to like, oh, this is why. And a lot of maybe some of that is retrospect, but I'd love to hear about how you have kind of done that. Sure. Um, I think that the most, the um, one that stands out the most is what we just talked about when, when we moved here, um, you know, it was an, it was an invitation to fill a, a position and, and, you know, and really what, what was happening was God was saying something to us. And the reason that I knew that that was something that God was saying to us is because it would not go away as much as I tried to push it aside. Because at the time I was, I was living, we were living um, sort of near where I grew up and it was convenient for work. It was like a five minute drive to work. I was close to uh, my daughter's school. Um, all of that, which just it just worked out. It just worked for us. And so now I'm having to consider taking a job that's going to take me 35 to 40 minutes to drive to every day, because even though it's only 10 miles away, we live in LA area. And, and it was going to be, um, it was just going to cause, it was not going to be as comfortable, right? And so I'm like, eh, I don't know, I, I really like volunteering, I don't need to get paid for doing that, I would do it anyway, you know, and so I was like just pushing it aside, pushing it aside, but it would not leave. It would come back and through another person and come back. And so it was like one of those moments like, ah, uh, God, I think you're trying to say something here. Like you're not letting this get away from me. And so then I had to start looking into it. And then I described how I grew up in the area that I grew up in and what it looked like. And then what our family looked like now. You know, I'm a Mexican, Puerto Rican, American that grew up in East LA and I'm married to a black man and we have a blended family. And there have been so many, oh, that was part of it, you know? Like I remember having conversations with, with moms, uh, Latina mothers in this community, and they would talk about African-Americans, you know, like really negatively. And I would say, uh, excuse me, 
you know, my husband, you said, you know, you have, you've had him over your house and you, I think you really like him. And they're like, well, he's not like that kind of black person. And so then we have to go there, right? Cause we're relationship with one another. We have to mm-hmm. talk that through, like, wait a mm-hmm. minute, you know what you're saying? And so then I have to check my people, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but like they have gotten to know our family and they've had experiences with us because in that, in this case, because of me, but really because of God. And so that has just been such an amazing part of our story that has been reconciliatory in, in nature. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing, but that's a, that's an example. And, and then I, just another thing that I've always done is like, I always have checks. Like there's a few people that know me really well that I trust um, that I know have my, my, you know, not my best interest, but God's hopes for me in mind in the decisions that I make. And that's oftentimes why I will go, okay, all the time and say like, what about this? And then sometimes I've been really mad because my mentors are like, nope, that is, this is not the time for that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. but I want it. And they're like, no, <laughs> you know, that is not the time. So there's that too. There's that, you know, God, I think places people in our lives that care for us and are able to see us in ways that, um, that God sees that we can't see from our side of the mirror, right? Mm. So yeah, listening, listening is the most important thing and having, um, practicing listening and then having people that help you, help you listen better are really Mm. key. That's really powerful. I I heard you say there was a a nagging, it's not nagging, I won't call it nagging, but yet there's a, a persistent urge to do that thing or keep calling you back to that thing. And when you said that, it made me think of a book I'm getting ready to start by Martha Beck. It's called The Way of Integrity. And she talks about integrity, not as in like what you do when nobody's watching, but like structural integrity. And sometimes if you're doing something that is not in your nature or in your call or in who you are to do, you're not, you don't have integrity. You're doing something outside of what you are built to do. And so she talks about what does it mean to find integrity, to establish integrity? And so when you said that, it made me think of the people listening, our sisters and brothers, and the times that like, there are some things that we have accepted and held onto and allowed to continue to persist, even though they are outside of integrity. What does it mean for us to follow those things? And for me, what I heard you say also is like when you said, well, the, the thing that I can go back to most clearly is 20 years ago. It's not always the big you know, what you talked about was a life altering move, my whole family and establish a new people kind of move to a new city. And that isn't, we don't do that every day. You know, every day we have different, maybe more mundane decisions to make, but I think establishing integrity and follow following that, um, that insistent voice, that, that call, that invitation that doesn't stop. If it's not going anywhere, what does it mean? What does it look like to explore that? And another thing you, you you mentioned about those checks and having those relationships and those people. And I think for me, I think one of the things that I have done is I've kind of compartmentalized relationships. And so when you said that, there's a part of me that felt like, yo, I wish I had some of those relationships. To be honest and candid, I've lost a couple mentorship relationships because of integrity for me. And taking a stance on certain issues that I didn't have a stance on before. Um, and when I took a stance on those, some mentors were like, it just kind of like melted away. It was really interesting and lots of like um, respect and lots of pain, though. And I had to kind of like own that, embrace that. 
and be true though to like my convictions about what is right and um but so I, I felt a little bit like oh man where where is that for me now but another but one thing that stood out to me about what you said is when you talked about those friends that would say like yo those people over there they don't you know what i mean but they had encountered someone like that but their minds kind of compartmentalized and for me I grew up, some of my closest brothers I grew up with, most of us are multi-ethnic, black, multi-ethnic, black and Cuban, black and Mexican, black. But in my mind, I didn't perceive them the way that I perceive like a stereotypical black man. Like in my brain, I just didn't put us in that category. So when I read about history, it was like, okay, this and that and the other. But I would love to hear you share more about like, how do we do that as people? I feel like you're somebody who's had these conversations when we like, we have a person of color, we have someone in our world that we would identify as a part of like a marginalized people groups, how, whatever that looks like, whether it is a disability, um, whether it is, you know, an orientation, whatever. But we just categorize that as like, okay, but they're okay. But, and then we don't include them in the big kind of group that we still stereotype or something. What would you say? Like, what would you say to that? I think we are all, we all tend to, um, as much as we say we wanna be inclusive, I think we all tend to um, stay where we're most comfortable. And we all create exclusionary like spaces and we have to fight against that. So I think a good question to be asking um, constantly is like, what am I not seeing? What am I not seeing? And always praying like, God help me to see the things that I'm not seeing, you know, that you want me to see. Um, because I think it's just in our nature, in our human nature to be, to, to do that. Even though we say we care about something, you know, we care about everybody, but then our focus is on just like these somebodies, right? <laughs> and so like, I think the radical, the radical love of Jesus is like everything, every everyone, <laughs> you know, and that's, like we just forget, I think, um, how e we easily forget how radical Jesus Jesus loved. Um, and there's such clear examples, you know, when Jesus was walking the earth in the flesh of that. And we we tend to forget what that actually meant in that time and try to ap apply it to what it would mean in this day. You know, like it, it may not have been all the same things, you know, but it was that kind of radical love, right? And what would that look like in 2021? Mm. That's, you know, when you say that, it makes me think of like, some of like my own work in therapy has been around like self-preservation. So like what practices, what ways of being have I adapted to just like preserve Mark? And when I think about what you said about what that means, like the questions that we need to continually ask ourselves, what am I not seeing? How do I operate in this thing? But I think, you know, how am I, how am I, I guess the word, the thing that comes to my mind, the idea is that like, Back to what do I want and why? If what I want is held by white people in power, I'll call that, then I'm going to acquiesce to them. And what I love about what you just said, it just really spoke to like my heart about the way that Jesus moved was not acquiescing to that. So his wants and his whys were in line with a bigger purpose. And it allowed him his orientation to that his centering to that mission 
allowed him to make decisions that were very sacrificial. At the same time, for me, as soon as I say that, I think about, but brother didn't have a marriage, brother didn't have children, which is great, right? That doesn't, I don't, it doesn't give me a pass as like a person who's married and a person with children. I still, I feel like I still have the same hopes to live into something more that I don't like acquiesce to like trying to just, I don't even know the words, surrender to power, acquiesce to power and kind of like just play the game. That's really, I think what it is. I don't know that, but so I appreciate that reminder. Yeah, I think, you know, as as I hear you say that, I'm also thinking about, um, you asked a question earlier about what is it that keeps us like kind of kind of gets in the way of us really being like, you know, um, with people. I don't remember exactly how you answered it, how you asked it, but that was like what I heard, right? What is it that keeps people from like really being where where they're supposed to be or where they're supposed to give or live or whatever? Um, and I think, and how we were just talking about Jesus. And I think part of what keeps us away is our our gap in understanding Jesus. Our gap in understanding, you know, the ethic, you know, lived out the life of Jesus and, you know, under the lack of understanding the radicalness of Jesus' life and why Jesus was here and what Jesus actually did and what it actually meant in that time, right? Like, like I just said, you know, it was really radical in that time. It, it, would, it would have been still radical now, but, but there were like some things that, that we have been taught in the church Right. And, you know, if we're if we're completely honest, most of our formation, the American church has been, you know, Western Eurocentric, you know, um, lens, you know, put over like Jesus. Right. And so that entire interpretation is so individualistic and that we we have not been taught to see the things that Jesus was doing that was shifting the foundations of society. You know, so that's why when 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 folks like you and me start talking about these things and like there's this problem in our society and that means on my block, right? <laughs> on my block, you know, that's impacting my neighbor. That is a societal issue, right? Because it's big. And people say like, oh, that's political. Like, don't do that. You know, Jesus was not political. I'm like, oh my gosh, what Bible are you reading? You know, cause we have just been taught so much. Like Jesus came for this, you know, mm. to die for you, Mark and your sins and the sins of the world, but so that you, Mark, mm. you know, can be saved and have eternal life with God. Mm-hmm. And, and like, that's it. Like God is only concerned with our spirit, mm. except we're created as humans and we have needs and we get thirsty and hungry and we die and we cry and like, wait a minute, God actually cares about all of those things. And so I think that's where we get in conflict with one another is because we we tend to separate and not and 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 then not fully understand we're approaching Jesus differently. We have a whole different idea of, or understanding of who Jesus was. And so those become blocks for a lot of us. I think one of the things that really stands out to me about what you just shared is when you talked about our formation and even for those of us, like I think about, <laughs> I don't want to call it reformation, but I do want to think about like, we'll use the term deconstruction because it seems like a lot of people understand what that term means right now. People are feeling like 
the faith that has been handed to me or that has been apprenticed into me that I have been, you talked about that has been formed in me does not hold water to who I understand Jesus to be right now. And so when you shared that, what, what stood out to me was it's, if I have spent 25 years, 20 years, 18 years, 16 years, and the, the story of who God is and who Jesus is, is like, you little beautiful person, love your love. It's like, and that's great. And that's important, but that's not the whole story. But if you're formed that way for 16 years and then you're trying to like, and then you're like, wait a second, some of this stuff doesn't hold water. The stuff that I've been told, it just doesn't hold up. Or what I'm seeing doesn't feel aligned with what Jesus said and what Jesus did. What I guess what I'm feeling is like, if you're a person who is working through that, um, your deconstruction, and you're trying to reconstruct a faith that is true to the image of Jesus, you know, and the God that you've experienced personally, be gracious to yourself. You have been formed for years and years under your parents' kind of space, faith in the world, in the church you grew up in. So you're going to like, you're going to experience like an awakening to a newer truth that holds more weight, but you also have been practiced into this other belief and it's okay to wrestle through that. It's a, there's going to be dissonance and tension between those beliefs. So I, that stood out to me when you shared about like, what does it mean to be formed that way? And I was like, yo, we've been formed for years and years and years under some of these ideas. And then we wake up to a new truth, but then there's still parts of us that like are still operating from an old truth, which Jesus spoke about himself on occasion, which is really interesting. Yeah, it's complicated, but it's good that you use that term deconstruction, right? Because because it's an important word, um, it, it, it's used a lot. And, um, you know, some things just actually have to be like, pretty much, you know, torn down. Um, I think that it's important as when we talk about deconstructing that, then like what takes the place of the thing that was torn down? What has to be corrected or shaped or what structure or blob? <laughs> what has to be, what is gonna be the new thing that is going to, to guide? and to nurture and all of that. It's important to, to not only talk about like taking things apart, but what is supposed to be there in, in the place of that's better. Mm -hmm. Myra, I, I so appreciate your thoughtfulness, um, the ways that you have followed Jesus and the ways that you've come to be in the world. I think it's such a, a gift to me. So to, to me, when I think about what does it mean, we've talked about like, geez, the American dream and the American nightmare, which makes me think of Malcolm and Martin and MLK. And um, they had that conversation um, themselves. Uh, but for me, I think about Jeremiah, this prophet who is writing to a people who are, um, they're, in the, they're oppressed. They're either in the land of Egypt or they're overcome by the Assyrians. And eventually they're in Babylon. They have zero power. And Jeremiah is trying to remind them of who they are, but he's also inviting them like you just invited us. Oh, no, no. Right where you are. Not when you get back to Jerusalem. Not when you get back to where you think all of the promises are fulfilled. Right where you are, there are promises for you. So let me read this passage of scripture from Jeremiah, and then we'll reflect on it together a little bit. Jeremiah 29. I put my bookmarker in Jeremiah 1. 
like a super professional um <laughs> not jeremiah 29 11 for those of you who almost uh um you know threw up in your mouse some of you guys i know have been traumatized by this book here um this is this different portion where um it's almost like jeremiah is inviting these people to be present where they are you don't have to wait till all the conditions are perfect and, and tomorrow and later and over there so this is what jeremiah says he says thus says the lord of hosts the god of Israel to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses right where you are and live in them. Plant gardens right where you are and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters right where you are. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage right where you are, that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply right where you are. Don't decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to Yahweh on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says Yahweh, the God of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares Yahweh. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 9. Myra, when you hear that today, what stands out to you today? Oh, wow. Um, the biggest one that stood out to me, there was two, but the increase in number there, do, like, the do not decrease stood out to me. Mm. And it stood out to me today because as I think about a lot of the conversations that I've been in, and I know that this is may seem unrelated, but I think it's completely a part of this because we're talking about an oppressed people. Mm-hmm you know, having to settle somewhere where they had no power. And so um, as a, you know, brown, as a brown woman, the, the amount of um, time that fear has caused my people to shrink or not want to increase, mm-hmm. you know, like as a family, like, like as in numbers, you know, because like we, we don't know what the future holds because there is so much uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about the times that as a person, I have felt like I cannot, I have to decrease myself, my identity and all of who I am mm-hmm. to fit mm-hmm. into somewhere mm-hmm. where I feel like I don't belong. And mm-hmm. God is saying to, to this people that is oppressed, like, don't decrease, increase, 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 increase. Right. And so And so then, and that's connected to the being a part of where you are, because the blessing is that you're there. It's a blessing for the the place that you are, that you are there. Um, It's a blessing for you too. Um, But praying and like kind of giving it your all, you know, give it your all, give all of yourself, like your full self, like not just the part that you think people can handle, but your full self and all of your resources and your 
and your your will and your labor and all of it because when you give all of that everybody's going to flourish everyone's going to be better mm. that's just beautiful that that is that is beautiful and powerful what a what a reminder huh. to me i feel like I know it's funny. I started like a serious, like a new wave of therapy. Uh, I don't even a year and some change ago. And like the first thing I said to my therapist is like, yo, I'm gonna be honest. I want to show up in every room that I walk into and I want to bring my full self to the table, my full self to the conversation. So I feel particularly just inspired and encouraged by what you said. Um, you know, it makes me think about like, what are those hurdles for people? I know for me, what I identify, there are, there's just way, there's experiences that I've experienced that make me shrink. There are ways that I've adapted to being in the world that make me much more in tune with maybe other people's needs than my own. But I wonder, you know, when you think about what it means to shrink back and to increase, what would you name as some of the hurdles towards increasing and showing up fully um i think the the biggest hurdle is that um if you're fully yourself then you're bringing your you know the way that you understand the world based on your lived experience your location you know your social location and all of that and so you, you may see things differently um, especially when you're like, you know, one woman in a room with 20 men, <laughs> you know, around the table right. or, you know, the one or the one of one or two or three, you know, non-white people in a conversation, like all the time. Right. right. And, and, um, and when you start to, to, to bring, you know, what you, what you, all of you to those conversations that you are one, it's usually pretty lonely, because like, there's not a lot of people who actually get understand what you're saying. I mean, I'm, I had people look at me like, what is she talking about? You know, and then be completely dismissed because like nobody can relate to even what I'm saying. So it just mm -hmm. is like, we don't even know what to do with that. So we're just going to move on. Right. Um, until you keep saying it and you keep saying it and you keep saying it and they're like, okay, maybe, maybe she's trying to tell us something, but then at the same time, um, oftentimes you bring things and then you have to keep bringing them and then you become like the broken record. You know, so like it's a fear, it's a fear and the discomfort of like just being rejected all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, like your perspective, the, how you read scripture, you know, the eyes that God gave you and the heart that God gave you and the ears that God gave you, like mm -hmm. the way that you bring, you know, take that into your body and into your experience and then put it out and translate it is not as important or not as right as the way that the majority sees it. Mm -hmm. And therefore it's like dismissed over and over and over again, like that messes with you, right? So that is, becomes the barrier that causes you to shrink, that causes you to like contort yourself to fit into like the boxes and the ways that the majority, whatever that is, is actually seeing things. And I, I mean, I think it's dangerous, is dangerous for us. I think that we really need to have the one another's who, who can see that and continue to call call one another to be bigger and to expand and not shrink um, because everything, everything else is going to kind of force us to shrink. Hmm. Jeez. That is so powerful. What, um, I really love like 
there is a challenge. We are not, we don't validate anyone's story. But when we are not, you know, when it's a single story, when it's a single interpretation shaping the way that we're all feeling the scripture, I just love how you said, no, my experience and my embodied walk in this world, when I hear it, it comes in and it filters through all of that. And what I say about it, how I see it is affected by all of that. And that's part of what I bring to the table as part of the beauty of all of us being able to look at it. And for me, it's like, when the church structure is like, sit down, face forward, and let this other person tell everybody what this thing says and what it looks like, that's to me is not, it's not helpful. It doesn't honor the dignity of every single experience in the room. We just haven't got that. And I, I'm working, you know, the Kinship Collective exists to change that so that we, I, I just love how you phrase that. The way it comes into me and comes through me and back out of me and my reflections is one of a kind as well as anyone listening, as well as you. That's really extraordinary. It's powerful, really, really powerful. Increase and don't decrease. When you said that, it made me think of, I think there's a controlling idea that was like, like branded in my brain when I was younger. And it was like, play the game. You gotta play the game. And I remember I cut my dreads off in high school because my mentor was like, yo, you gotta play the game. and. And it's interesting because older black men were from their experience coming back from Vietnam, from their experience in the 60s and 70s and civil rights and the ways that they were treated. They were saying, hey, watch how you operate in the world. You have to be careful. Don't call attention to yourself. Don't show up fully in the play the game. And so when you when you were sharing about that, it really like I think one of the root beliefs in my brain was identified as like playing the game is part of the idea that is creating you to shrink that is causing you to shrink back because you're trying to navigate the game and i don't want to be playing that game so i appreciate that for from you because something about what you said and how you said it woke that up in me what was the second thing you said that stood out to you this time in in reading i think i tied it together it was about it was about you know um praying to yahweh you know, for, you know, on behalf of this place where you are and then giving it your all. That was the second part of that. Mm. But what you just said right now, Mark, made me think of, you know, when I think when our elders and like, for the record, in case everyone doesn't know, I am Mark's elder. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to be 50 years old this week. Okay. So I am grown. I'm a grown woman. <laughs> um, so, um, but, you know, people older than me, like have, have, made very similar or given me similar advice you know like I was talking to to a woman um, of color elder um, some years ago and I was just talking about how the challenges of being um, being a woman and then being a woman of color in in church leadership and um, this person said well Myra you know sometimes we women, we just have to like tough it out. We just have to tough it out. And I was like, I am tough, okay? Like I'm from East LA, did you not remember that part of my story? <laughs> but, but really like, even if we are, but not, not all of us are, and why do we have to always change to fit into something? 
you know, and like that's like that justice stream, right? It's like, just because it's that way doesn't mean it's right and doesn't mean that it should stay that way, right? And so I think that we we have to, we have to challenge that and, and we have to, I think as we get older, and I have to remind myself of this all the time, is I need to make sure that I'm listening to the younger voices who are challenging the things that I have been conditioned to be okay with. Like wow. there's a reason that I am a certain way about certain things because of conditioning, right? As much as as much as a justice fighter that I think I am, there's still things that I have come to accept as like, and eh, that's not worth my energy or whatever. And mm. someone's gonna be reminding me. Like, hey, actually, this is really important. Like, we can't let this, we can't let this go. And then I have to be able to listen to that and like join my younger sisters and brothers, you know, and mm-hmm. pay attention to what they're saying is important and actually needs to change. Mm. Yeah. I, to me, when you say that too, it makes me think of our children. And like, if I just get in the role and play the game and keep and go with the flow then like they're going to be expected to do the same thing when they come into similar roles, no matter if that's Amazon, if it's whatever. And if we're not changing the structure when we gain power or just, again, right where we are, if we are not being a voice for what is right where we are, then we are we are placating and contributing to a system that then our children will come up, up into and say, Yo, why why is this the same way? Was this like this when you were there? Oh yeah, I just I just toughed it out. I just and it's like we're not doing them any favors. We're not doing our children any favors by that. Mm. Yes. <laughs> this generation, as I think about your your children mm-hmm. <laughs> and my children, you mm-hmm. know, and this little this little brood. <laughs> that we have that's coming up, man, they are not going to like, none of that is going to sit well Mm. for sure. You know, it's interesting to me when you say that it reminds me, there are children, you know, I have one of my close buddies, his, his oldest child, his daughter is just questioning so much of the structures and it just, you know, I, I can't necessarily name some of uh, what I would, you know, I don't want to put her in a box for personality type or anything like that, but it burdens her the injustices that she is experiencing in her family's faith. And she's just like, how could that be God? If you say God is this, then why would God do this to those people based on that? And it, it just bothers her. So, but to me, it's like, I think for her, the way that she carries all that, she looks at her parents as she's saying, are you down with that idea of who God is? Because if so, then me and you got to have some challenges, which is really interesting. But I think back to what you said, like, that's the reality that our kids are looking up at us and saying, like, is that what you believe? Like what, what that person is saying on that screen or what that person said, like what this pamphlet says and what this says, like, are you down with that? Because if that's true, I don't me and you i don't know what we got you know because they they just they don't you know it's interesting because to say they don't it's like we would always say like i thought i was the guy who was like yeah that don't smell right i'm cool but now they just got more exposure and more google and more siri and just like and they're exposed to more things and they're like that's supposed to be wrong but those people are so kind and loving what does that mean what are you talking about what do you mean? They're more kind than those other people over there. They look more kind than the idea of God you're trying to tell me about. So what are you talking about? It just doesn't, again, back to integrity, it just doesn't hold up for them. They're like, 
Yeah, it doesn't, that doesn't work. I think for me, you go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going, I was just thinking about, or I'm wondering as you're saying that, I look at um, my, my youngest kids, you know, I have like millennials <laughs> and then I have, you know, a 10 year old. Um, and I look at the 10 year old and I say that generation, like not that I'm putting all my hope in that generation, but I, man, there's something there. And I, I look, I look forward to what they are going to do because of the things that they are already so like intuitively, like, you know, grasping, right. At like, mm -hmm. such young ages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think about the Isaiah passage of, you know, the, the child shall lead them. And I wonder, did, did the boomer generation and, you know, be uh, generations beyond did they look at us and think that way or believe that about us i don't mm. know mm. because it's in scripture like on purpose right like that's something that's yeah. like oh yeah because because you know jesus is always like turning things upside down right and god was always saying like the last should be first and first shall be last and all that stuff and it's like that's a thing it's a mm -hmm. definitely a theme throughout mm -hmm. scripture and so like we should be learning from that theme and thinking that way all the time if it's in mm. there so much you know and so, so when I look at uh, at children right now and, the, and just younger folks, I think that I'm like, wow, what is it like that we need to like be led by by these young people? And um, I hope that people thought that way about us, but I don't know. Yeah. Huh. And and what was their capacity to do that? I mean, coming from the Great Depression or coming from these different spaces where they were, I always, I think a lot about the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and it's like. If my parents were always concerned about survival, how could they have been thinking about community or emotional health or, uh, you know, enlightenment or, you know, self um, actualization, the, the pinnacle of it? And it's like the more that we can give those base needs to our kids, the more that they can they have capacity to even think about injustice because they're not constantly thinking about like my stomach hurts. And then our parents are so shaped by war, um, immigration, yeah. all these different things. It's like, and they're hiding and they're trying to navigate the world. It's like, that's, that's, um, the privilege, what the, the privilege that we have afforded our children to think about things like that. Yeah. And, and then also there's like wisdom, right. In like some village, some remote village somewhere where, where, you know, people are really poor and don't have everything and still that wisdom can come through mm -hmm. you know like those kinds of things and that kind of care like not because I have the capacity now to care for my community and care about other people but because like my livelihood depends on my community because it's about we all of us mm. you know so like I'm going to care about these things because these are my people you know and that those kinds of things are also lived out by people who don't have anything, you know, per our Western standards. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. I appreciate that. That was a kind, um, that was a kind check slash rebuke because we but don't, I, but I, I say it because I was actually thinking as you're talking about it, because I talk about, about Methlow's hierarchy of needs often as well. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's another name and somebody else who actually told us like, this is the way it works. And the, and kind of like that can be overlaid everywhere. And it mm. probably can, but then you have to look at like where, what's the starting point 
you know, and what is missing and who says that's missing? Mm. Like <laughs> for the things that we deem as important are like not the things that are really deemed important by a community. I mean, of course, food and water, you know, basic, those mm -hmm. basic needs, but like those things like may exist in poverty. Yeah. Like you may just have enough. What looks like poverty to me is not actually poverty. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And we always what, what... have to be challenged, right? By everything. Mm -hmm. Like, yes and, yes and. Somebody told me that today at lunch. Mm. We have more yes and conversations. Amen. That, that makes me think of um, just who, the framework, the frame of the conversation. I love what you said about like we. This is about, this is we, it's not me, it's not just me, it's not me alone. That 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 transition and how do we create that culture of we? And when it works for you, it works for me. And sometimes that means I, I might get less, but it's good for all of us. And that's okay. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. And we need to be willing to make those decisions back to Jesus, back to this invitation of like, orienting ourselves, centering ourselves enough in love and kingdom and back to what you say, and yes, and, and there's so much and abundance and not just scarcity to be able to, to live in that realm. That's such a, such a beautiful reminder and that we don't have the market on how wisdom gets transitioned, what is important. And we definitely can't look, I wouldn't even say, I mean, I don't know that the healthiest person in the United States has like the greatest thing to tell us or show us or embody for us about mutuality and community. So I, I just really appreciate that reminder. We, we don't own, the, own that market for sure on wisdom and mutuality. But, but all that you just said right now about, um, about this is like what's in this passage, you know, about really giving giving this place where you are in this community that you're in giving this your all um because it is about about all of us and you said you know even if that means i have less you know but we all have what we need or something like that is like that's it's pretty much in this it's, it's pretty much in this passage and it's in a lot of places in scripture and it is so therefore it is biblical it is a biblical idea ideal principle um and yet it has been taken and like some people would hear you say that and like start to put you in the socialist box, you know, <laughs> because you're like mm -hmm. talking about, wait, I have to lose something. So other some, so somebody else can have something, you know, mm. take care of everybody. And like, uh, yeah, well, that part of the Bible and that other part of the Bible, the other part of the Bible. Yeah. And I, and I would say to that person, what Jeremiah said when he said, yo, don't let those prophets, those diviners among you deceive you. Don't listen to those dreams, the dreams that they dream. Because they are not dreams that benefit everybody. Those aren't God's dreams for you. Be where you are. Plant yourself. Be rooted. Give yourself to that place. When it goes good for them, it's going to go good for you too. Don't listen to the voices that tell you you need to be somewhere else. Do something else. Get something else. Get another this. Be this. Make that much. Whoa. Maida. Preach. You preach. I'm responding to your preach. Myra, thank you. Thank to you. your preach. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I would, I mean, the 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 way that wisdom has flown from you is from years and years of being in spaces and doing the work. And I just so appreciate your investment back into the people who listen to me and in this conversation about, hey, remember, remember, remember who you are. Remember 
the God, this is the God that you follow. This is the Jesus we're talking about. I, I just so much appreciate that. Myra, how can people get in contact with you? How would you like them to support different things you got going on? Um, sure. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I think locally, you know, for folks who are here, um, the Clergy Community Coalition and our website, clergycommunitycoalition.com, is a great way to be connected to what um, some of the things that the church is, is organizing to do. Um, and we often use this Jeremiah passage when we when we dream about what could be in this community. And then on a, if you're if you're not here, um, what does that look like in your own community? Find who's doing that. That's where you invest. Um, but on a broader scale, you know, my my role with CCDA, like that's what I'm doing here is what everyone connected to CCDA is doing somewhere in somewhere in the US and, and beyond. And so uh, CCDA.org is a great place to get resources, to get training to get connected to other folks who are who are living this way like living this Jesus ethic out according to some key principles that include really paying attention to where you are planted and and being rooted there um, and so that's a really great place to learn ccda.org thanks Myra um, I was looking at my notes over here and just thinking about all the invitations and, and the wisdom you've given us sisters and brothers who are listening you are so loved there have been marking and formative times in your life where someone said that interpretation, your belief about that can't be true because the people ahead of me and somebody told me and somebody else said this. And what we're saying is the way you've, your feet have walked this ground and the traumas you have experienced in your body and in your mind and in your own sexuality or whatever, they are valid and they frame the ways that you encounter God and every encounter with God in that is beautiful and real. And we appreciate your voice and we want you to show up fully at the table. And I'm not trying to make light of any of that trauma and say it's okay. What I am saying is the way that you see the world because of it is valid. And, and a lot of people would tell you, oh, no, no, no. You only see it that way because of that. The way you see it is valid. And the the Kinship Collective is a space where we want to honor every experience and we want to be able to see the world through each other's eyes, to see it more clearly, like Myra talked about. How do we see it more clearly together? And this invitation of yeah. the, the questions we ask ourselves, what, why do I want that? What is it that I want to name that actually? And some of us, there's a lot of work to just name what we want. And then when, once you've named that, then to say, well, why do I want that? And, and to be candid, like holler at us. If you want to talk about that stuff, you can holler at me. If you want to talk about that, you can holler at Myra. If you want to talk about that, her social media stuff will be in the show notes and the information stuff. And you can reach out. We'd love to sit and talk and just be with you um, and hear about that, to have more conversations, to move it forward to not, I don't get to validate who you are, but to honor who you are because, because I am, because you are we we're thinking about we and that's what we want to be that's what kinship is all about we are family and you are so loved and that's just the way it is thank you so much for listening Myra Marcelo Nolan thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you my sister appreciate you it's a privilege and please you know I just want to say like yeah folks reach out um, my contact information will be there awesome adios family we are